Well, as it's so often the case in our gospel, Jesus has these one-liners that are just totally brilliant and and really reveal to us an intellect that is is very much it's kind of unearthly. He's very uh, just this kind of supreme intelligence and, and so many of his responses and, and uh, it's, it's really quite amazing. I love what he's doing here with the, with the scribes and the Pharisees who are trying to kind of trap him and confront him. He's basically saying to them, and this would be the little kind of the point of my homily today, is you're, tr- you're seeking after questions that are of like a high school and college level you know, whereas you haven't been able to get right the uh, kindergarten questions, okay? So you gotta you gotta get the first things first before you move on to the big things. And the very fact that the Pharisees did not recognize John the Baptist basically disqualifies them from moving on, going and going to, to Christ Himself. Okay, if you don't get the the simple things down, how are you going to go on to be able to appreciate and recognize? The, the bigger realities that God is giving to you through through Jesus, through Christ. And what did John come preaching? Well, uh, repentance. And the people came out to him and they confessed their sins and uh, they changed their life and they turned it around. It was a moral conversion that John was really after. And the Pharisees didn't respond to that, Okay. So unless that moral conversion takes place, unless you actually recognize sin, sin in general, first of all, and then your own sin in particular, uh, and then I should even get more specific, unless you recognize your own sins, in, you know, specific particular sins, it's not enough to say, God, I'm a sinner. Okay, you gotta say, Lord, I did X, Y, and Z. <laughs> Alright? Unless you really get down to that kind of brass tacks level of reality, you're not able to go on and to discern higher higher truths and higher realities. Okay, um, and I think that's that Jesus is very in a genius way. He's exposing the presumptuousness of the Pharisees. They're they're trying to address and and kind of get into all of these high level things, and they haven't got the first things down down yet. Um, I'm reminded of. Uh, in uh, recent years, in the past maybe, I would say, 30 years now, 20 years, there's been a group of uh, very um, prominent uh, atheists who've gotten a lot of attention uh, in the popular level uh, media and level of discourse in our society in America and in Europe. Uh, Richard Dawkins is one of them. Hitchens is another guy. A couple other, a couple other guys, Dawkins in particular, I, I'm thinking about. And, um, you know, I, I see sometimes their objections to, to Christ, to Christianity, and I kind of want to say to them, you know, you kind of got to go back to basics, first of all, all right? You got you to gotta be able to acknowledge the existence of sin, first and foremost. You know, if you don't acknowledge the natural law and just get morality down, all of your objections to these higher level things are, are kind of futile and vain and empty. So Richard Dawkins will say something. He'll he'll point to a passage in the Bible that, admittedly, is a difficulty. He'll point out, you know, in the Old Testament, you've got these passages that involve extreme violence on the part of the Israelites, and he'll say, well, you know, how can how can the God of of the Bible be the true God if he allows all of this violence to take place or commands it or directs it, so forth and so on. 
Yeah, good question. Good question. You know, um, but before you're you're really in an intellectual in a place to address those things things intellectually, you got to get first things down first, and that is uh, morality. And uh, so also, so also thinking of a, a debate I saw by Hitchens, and he was saying, "Well, I can't believe in a God who would allow." Eons and eons of animals devouring one another. Okay, so, so you've got the question of animal suffering. You know, it's a philosophical question. How is animal suffering, um, uh, compatible with a God who's all good, so forth and so on? It's a, it's a legitimate question. And actually, philosophers of religion address that question. I've got a friend of mine who's a professor at uh, Baylor University in Texas who's written a number of books on that particular question of animal suffering. So, I mean, it's a good question. You know, but before you're really able to address those high-level questions, you got to get first things down first. And so often, the the skeptic and the so-called free thinker and the secular thinker and the atheist—not always, but I would say probably eighty to ninety percent of the time—when you look into their personal lives, their morality is very abysmal. Okay, and you start to see all of these kinds of Intellectual objections to Christianity are a very thin veneer to cover up and to justify a life that is vicious and not virtuous. Uh, and again, I'm not saying for, that's always the case, but oftentimes it is the case. And especially in the area of sexual morality. Okay, So you have this kind of a, a secular moral ethic and it's extremely thin and doesn't hold much water. It basically goes like this. As long as you don't hurt me, I'll leave you alone, and we just are going to agree to not hurt each other and let each other do whatever we, whatever you think is good, just as long as you don't interfere with, with me and, and hurt me. That Oh, that's good, I guess, but it's a very, very low bar. I mean, that's an extremely thin morality, and it's really not sufficient to... Um, to lead humanity down the path of true human flourishing and happiness. And it's not sufficient to um, really build a society that's going to be cohesive and that's going to be ordered towards the common good. All right, It's not sufficient. It's too thin. It can't bear the weight of the human enterprise. And even, I guess this is a, this is a very big surprise, just recently Richard Dawkins has, has wrote an article where he does kind of grudgingly admit that without traditional religious morality, uh, society is going to fall apart. And that, that's a huge admission on the part of this guy. He spent his, he spent his entire life arguing against Christianity. And for him to admit that is like almost a complete reversal. And that was something just recently he, he wrote. So that's a, that's a pretty big admission on his part. And so often we as Christians, you know, what we are trying to get across and what we really need to kind of shoot for in our own lives is just, it's just let's get the basics down, okay? And uh, let's live virtuous lives. Let's um, let's honor our, our elders and our parents. Let's honor tradi- the generations that have gone before us. Let's bring God into the public sphere and as a society, as a group, recognize and acknowledge and give gratitude to God. Let's live lives of, you know, again, the basic moral virtues of prudence and justice and temperance and fortitude. Let's not complain and be whiners and be wimps. Uh, let's not indulge and make pleasure and comfort our, our main goals in life. 
Uh, let's not be cons- driven by consumerism and materialism. Uh, let's not covet each other's <laughs> material goods and properties and, and spouses and whatnot. I mean, these are kind of basic things. Let's kind of let's get these down first, and then we can kind of move on to the bigger questions and issues and really be in a position to address them uh, in, a, in a very interesting and, and, and beneficial manner. And again, as we as Christians, we, we look to like the major world religions with a lot of respect. I think of Hindus, for example, they're polytheists. I mean, they got a lot of things incorrect about, about God, but at least they've got morality down. You know, there is a really kind of a thick morality that characterizes the Hindu society. And oftentimes I feel so bad. We in the Christian West, we export our secular morality to these countries and they, they'll have none of it. And they start to really have a negative impression about the West. And when Indians come over here, they're very hardworking people, but their traditional family structure starts to decay under, by the, the, the corrupting influence of that really thin, you know, secular morality. Do whatever you want just as long as, you know, you don't interfere with my freedom and don't hurt me, you know? And, uh, so often the, the Hindus are, they're pagans, but they exhibit these just basic common sense morality of respect for elders, sexual morality, things like that. And the Buddhists really, in, in a lot of ways, they've got so many things wrong, of course, but there's a real moral earnestness about them. And of course, Muslims to a greater extent, and then, and then Jewish people as well. So if these guys are questioning Christianity, I start to say to myself, okay, well, let's listen to them. You know, they've got a, a foot to stand on. They've got some ground to stand on. But when those who come to us who have completely um, just uh, evacuated the moral law from the, the sphere of human existence, you know, and they want to start criticizing Christianity, well, let's get first things first down. And so for us, though, as Christians as well, we really, our credibility and the truth of what we're about when it comes to the gospel is undermined um, no more negatively than when we don't live up to the Ten Commandments. So it's so important for us to get those basic things down and to be people of virtue. Uh, without that, the world is just not going to believe. So let's not shoot for the stars. Let's get, get down the basics and, and, and really strive for, for goodness, for holiness, and for those basic things, chastity and temperance and uh, courage and justice and prudence and, and order our lives and our families in that accord, uh, and then we'll be in a position to really be able to kind of speak to the world and we'll be credible witnesses to, to the gospel and to the, to the truth of Christianity.